At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Okay, here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So back in March and April, this is March and April of 2015, this year, uh, we did an in-depth series about depression, the symptoms of depression, what causes depression, how depression affects men differently than from women, and also what you can do to manage your depression. A lot of people resonated with that because they or someone they knew uh, was struggling with depression. And one book that really resonated with me as I was researching uh, for the series was a book called The Depths, The Evolutionary Origins of the Depression Epidemic. It's by Dr. Jonathan Rottenberg. He is a professor of psychology at the University of South Florida. He specializes in emotion, uh, particularly with an emphasis on major depressive disorder. Anyways, in his book, The Depths, he makes the case that depression uh, is actually an evolved tendency or trait in human beings and that at one time it served an adaptive purpose in our long ago past and that today the reason why we see so many people depressed is that our environment we're just not our emotional system isn't set up for our modern environment with all the stress and lack of sleep and the sedentary lifestyle etc etc it's a fascinating book and it gives you a much more nuanced view of depression. And so today on the show, Dr. Rottenberg are going to discuss this theory, this evolutionary theory of the origins of depression, and then how this view of depression can change how we approach treating it. So if you are struggling with depression or you know that's, if you know someone who's struggling with depression, I think you'll get a lot out of the show, a lot of interesting insights. Uh, so let's do this. Jonathan Rottenberg, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, your book is the, called The Depths. Uh, it's about depression. Um, but before we get into uh, the meat of your book, it's just completely fascinating. Can we start with this? Like, what is depression? Because, you know, I'm writing a series of posts about depression right now, and I've been doing so much research about it. And it seems like every book I've read has a different idea or conception of depression. And it's confusing. I'm honestly like, I'm more confused now about depression than I was before. Um, so how do you, I mean, what is depression for you? How do you define it? Yeah, the, 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 the definition is very important because how you define the problem is going to um, very much uh, guide you to the kind of solution that you might uh, uh, follow. So depression for me, um, and this actually does follow the uh, 
psychiatric definition of depression is a mood condition, which is to say people who are depressed report that they feel low, they feel sad, they feel blue, and they also report uh, that they're unable to experience pleasure uh, in, in the things that normally brought them joy, things that they were normally interested in, that joy, that pleasure is now absent. And it's it's a mood state that, unlike ordinary sadness, you know, when you might experience some kind of disappointment um, or you might have a, uh, a setback, uh, this sadness is very hard to shake. In clinical depression, uh, the person not only has this low mood, but then has a number of other uh, symptoms that are associated with the low mood uh, that go on for weeks, they can go on for months, they can even go on for years. So in addition to the to the low mood, the person will have trouble sleeping, they, they might um, lose their appetite, they have trouble concentrating, they're very fatigued, and some of the most troubling you know, parts of depression is a person feels that life is not worth living. They might think about hurting themselves, uh, they might even attempt suicide, and tragically, some people who have depression... Um, die by suicide. So it, the symptoms can be very, very serious. Okay. And you, you, you talked about um, mood and that's sort of uh, interesting because you come from a mood science perspective. That's what you do is mood science. Uh, can you explain what mood is? I mean, how is that different from say temperament or feelings? Well, mood is a very important organizing idea in psychology because our moods not only reflect uh, our feelings. So we talk about, I'm in a good mood, I'm in a bad mood, and feelings are a part of what mood uh, is, but moods also organize us. So when we're in a good mood, we not only feel good, but we're prepared to take certain actions. So for example, I'm in a good mood, and that's when I want to get together with friends. Uh, that's when um, I, I, I want to uh, uh, have fun. Uh, conversely, when I'm in a really low mood, I tend to withdraw and the mood actually makes me more likely or less likely to do certain things. So moods actually have this ability to kind of harness, so to change our cognitions, to change what's going on in our body. Um, and so they're, they're more than just a feeling state. They actually organize uh, our activities. Okay. And, and humans aren't the only ones who experience moods. Uh, animals do as well? Yeah. I mean, you could have an interesting conversation about what what's where does – where on the phylogenetic chain does mood begin? Does an amoeba, because it can approach uh, a nutrition gradient, have mood? Well, probably that's too elastic a term. But certainly other mammals, uh, they have brains that are very similar in how they're organized to us. They have many of the same evolutionary goals to survive, to reproduce, to, to, uh, to mate, to make alliances and so forth. And they too have moods to help organize these activities. Even though they can't report, uh, a chimpanzee cannot report, I'm feeling sad, it nevertheless, when uh, the, the mother chimpanzee sees the baby chimpanzee die, it has very similar behaviors and very similar things going on inside the mother chimp's body as humans do when they're grieving the loss of their own infant. Yeah, I think you, you write about that in the book, and it's actually it's really sad uh, reading about what happens when a chimp mourns the death of her baby. I mean, she holds it and tries to like revive it, and it's really touching. I don't know, it's really pretty sad. Yeah, it is sad, but it's also if you think about it, um, 
we should be grateful that we have this capacity. When something really bad happens, um, like you're a mother and you've just invested nine months in a baby um, and, and your baby dies, this is a moment to stop and think and, and think about uh, what your next move is. It's not, it's not a uh, – in, in, in humans, uh, grief, the loss of a loved one is almost a universal. I mean across different cultures, across history – um, there are many different rituals for grief, but always there is this uh, stopping and pausing. And low mood, again, organizes that. It forces us to think, what does this person mean to us? What do we do now, now that they're gone? How do we carry on? Um, and, and, and this is actually useful. Imagine if we paid no attention and we just went on uh, as we were before. Um, when something that serious happened, maybe they, they died because um, there was an illness sweeping the, the, the land or because uh, there were enemies about. Death is always a sign uh, to pay attention to what's going on and what can we learn from this. So it's low mood makes us stop. It makes us analyze the environment really carefully, in part so we don't repeat the same mistakes that got us into this situation in the first place. Okay. And so that, sort of, that leads us into sort of the, the meat of your book. And, and you make the case that depression may be may have an evolutionary purpose, and so the, when people hear that, I mean, I guess the first thing people that came to my mind was like, how could something that we see as maladaptive, because no one wants to be depressed, right? It makes us feel terrible, and uh, you want to just stay home all the time and not do anything. Mm. How can that be adaptive? Well, you have to um, think about evolution and what the point of evolution is. The point of evolution is survival reproduction. The point of evolution is not happiness. And so there are many things that evolution has clearly selected for that are not pleasant. So in addition to low mood, uh, pain comes out. A very good example. When you feel pain, you will uh, guard an injured site in your body. You won't move it. Uh, and pain makes you not want to do things, sort of like depression makes you not want to do things. But again, if you didn't have it, uh, you would be unable to heal, uh, and a serious injury would be become much worse. Similarly, uh, anxiety, which is another – it's a very unpleasant state. But if we were unable to anticipate dangers, um, th those organisms that were unable to anticipate dangers sadly are no longer with us. And so we're, we're left with this evolutionary – uh, legacy to be capable of these anxiety states, which sometimes become very unpleasant, just like low mood sometimes becomes very unpleasant and can even become very crippling. But that, that capacity, the ability to have low mood in the first place, uh, I, I think the evidence is pretty good that we see this across, across species, and uh, it's not an accident that in across cultures and across species there is this capacity. So what – I mean, what – why do we get depressed? I mean, why, it, what, what purpose does it serve? It just to, to withdraw if things aren't right and sort of reevaluate? Is that the purpose of? Yeah, so the, the mood system is incredibly sensitive to a whole variety of clue, cues that are related to, to uh, survival and reproduction. So, for example, over, over the eons, uh, when it's dark, we're much less active. That's, there are no rewards uh, at night. You can't hunt a – it's very hard to find edible berries by the moonlight. Uh, and conversely, when it's light out, 
um, we typically have access to rewards, and so we feel we've, our mood is much higher. And so we typically, and, and you'd see this, you know, in, here in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, during the winter, people tend to experience more low mood. So that's one contribution. Another contribution is your physical health. And so when you have a, if you have a fever uh, and you're ill, your mood is much lower. And again, that's to force you to slow down, uh, to, to not uh, pursue uh, goals as vigorously to allow your body to recover. But moods are also sensitive to the psychological state. So people, uh, does, does the situation. So people uh, experience a variety of shocks, whether it's they uh, get a poor grade on a test, or they get rebuffed by a lover, or they have problems on the job, and mood is responsive to those situations as, as well, in part for the same reasons that uh, there's some situations, like imagine you get fired from your job, where this now, you're in a predicament. You have to figure out what to do next. You should not hastily... Uh, you should not hastily proceed when you've uh, when you've experienced such a big loss. So there's a variety of the variety of things that can push people into a low mood. And unfortunately, what's happening now is that our perfectly good adaptation low mood is being set. It's being set off by a very large number of different things at the same time, kind of creating the the perfect storm for mood, which explains why so many people are experiencing low mood and so many people are experiencing more severe depression for long periods of time. Well, what are those things that are pushing more and more people into a low mood? Um, well, so to stay on the, on the example of, uh, of light. So, you know, we, were, we, we evolved in the context of the rotating earth and 24-hour cycle of light and dark with the uh, reliably feeling uh, more energy and alertness at, at, uh, during the daytime than at night. Humans, when they uh, moved into to, uh, villages and started farming in permanent settlements, initially that was okay, but as they stayed in permanent set settlements and became more urbanized, people got less and less daylight. And in more recent times, um, this has really increased dramatically so that even in very sunny parts of the world, there's one study in San Diego, the average citizen is getting less than a half an hour of sunlight. And this is one of the most sunny places in the United States a day. And that's kind of been replaced with uh, light that people are getting at night, which is a really poor substitute for daylight. So, for example, people are uh, lying in bed uh, and looking at their uh, laptop screens and their iPhone screens uh, or their TVs. And this is, this is having a bunch of bad effects. So the, the light does not benefit uh, the mood system, but it also tricks the body. And it, it makes, people, makes it harder for people to get to sleep. And sleep is another thing which is very tied to mood. So people are having more and more um, problems with sleep, in part because of these routines. And because of the hectic lives that people often lead are getting less and less sleep. And so I would say two of the things that I would immediately um, say have changed that are contributing to this de depression epidemic are a lack of light and sleep. Unfortunately, there are, there are a number of other things. Um, like I said, it was, it's kind of the perfect storm. So there are, also, there are also things going on in the psychological environment that I think are very harmful uh, to mood that I hope we have a chance to talk about. Yeah, like I mean, what are some of those? Is it, is it just the, um, 
our market economy? Is it uh, just the, the constant stress of information overload? I and mean, what what are some of those things? Well, some of the things are some of the things are actually quite paradoxical. Um, so you know, again, the typical view of depression is that it's about defects and things that the person is doing wrong, and you know, people talk about a. a defective brain or defective genes and so forth. But I think that the reason that there is so much depression is really not so much because of things that humans don't do well or individual people who, who, who are defective as things that humans are really, really good at. So, for example, humans are really, really good at setting goals. And they're really good actually at setting goals about very abstract things. For example, setting goals about their happiness. And one thing that has changed dramatically uh, in the last 30 years or so is that more and more people have set these goals uh, that I am going to be very happy. Now, that may sound like a benign goal, but at no time in human history have people, uh, so many people trying to deliver the state of kind of reliable euphoria. Um, The mood system, again, is it's designed to, Absolutely, periodically d- deliver a burst of pleasure when you've, you know, when the, when your first date asks you to the prom, or you know, you uh, you buy a, a groovy new car, uh, you you do you do get that shot of pleasure. But people have this belief that they can feel happy all the time, and actually, there are books that you can buy uh, that essentially say, uh, "Here are the three steps that you need to take." Uh, in order to feel happy all the time. And it sounds benign, but what's actually happening is that many people are uh, feeling okay or feeling somewhat uh, down or depressed, but they're wondering, why am I not happier? Is there something wrong with me? My, Why am I not as happy as the people that I see on Facebook, my friends? I see their perfect vacations and their perfect families. That um, they compare themselves uh, to these other people, and they compare to their their mood to what they think they ought to feel, and they feel a lot worse, and they they start to feel very discouraged. But it, it might be helpful to know that in reality, um, at no time in human history have ever people felt happy all the time. It really is an illusion. Well, so what should the goal be? Uh, you know, if you shouldn't focus on happiness. What well, should you focus on? Sure, I think that um, it is important to, to find things that are that are meaningful in, in your life, and as a consequence uh, of pursuing those those goals. So, for example, I'll, I'll bring my own case into this. So, uh, I before I wrote this book, this is actually you know more than twenty years ago. Uh, I experienced a very severe episode of depression. It lasted a very long time. And it took a very long time for me to figure out how to kind of rebuild my life. And and I think that many of the reasons that I experienced depression is that I did not have a lot of different activities um, that I, you know, found meaningful. And these activities, you know, now I'm a psychologist in in and I find the study of mood to be very valuable. And I also find the advocacy work that I'm doing uh, to help people uh, who have depression be less isolating, that that also is very meaningful. I started a family. I have now have more hobbies. When I, when I had dep- uh, depression initially, I really had put all of my eggs into one basket. I had this goal that I was be- going to become a, a famous historian. And when that wasn't going well, everything kind of collapsed. So I guess I would say, 
to, to kind of summarize my experience, and I think it would be relevant to, to a lot of people who, who are listening to your show, is having a diversity of things that are meaningful to you, uh, that are important to you. Don't worry about whether you're ecstatically happy one day. The, you will, you will, as a byproduct of pursuing things that are meaningful, experience more well-being. Um, than if you simply have the goal uh, to be happier, which is kind of like the goal. It's one of these goals that uh, the harder you run, the faster the treadmill goes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's sort of an impossible goal. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? 
Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. So uh, here's a question I have. Um, you, you know, you're talking about some of these benefits of low mood that it allows us time to reflect. Uh, maybe informs us that maybe this is a goal we should stop pursuing, and mm-hmm. maybe pursue something else. But when does when does that low mood shift to like severe depression, where that the costs outweigh the benefits? That's a great question, and it's not a question that has a really easy answer. Um, again, um, many things that humans are great at, um, and I think are admirable qualities, um, are important. And I would not speak against. So you know, this idea that if you if you are if you're failing uh, if you're failing at an important goal in America, um, we're always told that no matter what, you must persist. Uh, in, in part because, you know, from a young age, kids are told that you can do anything. And I, I don't want to be, you know, cast as a, as the gloomy person who says that you should give up on goals, you know, at the slightest idea. That's low mood telling you, you know, to disinvest and so forth. But at some point, and many people persist, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a career, um, whether it's in some other venture, fame, to achieve great riches, they persist um, for a number of years in this, in spite of this escalating low mood. When if they were able to disengage and think about some other things that they could do with their time to kind of again diversify their portfolio, or maybe um, uh, develop a completely different goal, goal completely, that this this depression which of course at the time was very destructive and very painful, may end up in the long view being something that uh, they're thankful for, that they um, wouldn't trade uh, because it, it helped them see uh, other possibilities. But in, the current, in our current system, we only see depression as a sign of weakness. We see depression as, as a, you know, a broken brain or cognitions that need to be changed. And so people are really unable to make any use of, of these depressions, you know, kind of are, are, have been listening to Prozac but not depression, you know, to kind of put a point on it. Okay. Well, so, I mean, you've kind of hit on this a little bit, you know, using this mood uh, evolutionary perspective, you know, someone who's struggling with depression, I mean, what's the best way to approach it? I mean, I guess you don't, you don't, do you try to cure depression or is it better to just try to manage it? You try to manage it. Absolutely. And the, the really, I think, good news, you know, the, the book has a lot of, you know, alarming 
of facts about the direction that we're headed in, the, the difficulty of controlling depression, um, you know, as a public health matter. So the, the incidence of depression is very high. It's concentrated in young people. But there's also a lot of good news, especially when you take this mood science perspective, because moods are responsive to so many different things. So I absolutely, if someone wanted to, to try medications, which are the dominant approach to depression, I, I would say that's fine. But don't limit yourself. Uh, you can also change your moods by changing your, uh, your, your thoughts. So um, people often have very negative thoughts during a depression. They're often very uh, harsh and self-accusatory kinds of thoughts. And there are, there, are, there are both formal treatments and books that people can read to try to get a little bit better control over their thoughts. People can improve their mood by simply learning to tolerate the low moods better, which is another problem that um, happens when you're, when you're um, fixated on feeling happy all the time that these low moods become just intolerable. You can change your physical routines. So things that you know, I mean, I, I think many people know are benefit uh, mood uh, can even be beneficial to people who are really struggling with, with more significant low mood like exercise uh, in getting more sunlight. Uh, you're changing your social environment. So what happens in, in depression is that people tend to withdraw. And it's very understandable. You feel like hell. You don't want to talk to anyone. You feel like you have nothing to say. But the extent to which you can schedule in some social interactions, maybe you know you take it slow. But this is another way that um, by changing your social environment, you can, you can change your mood. And finally, and this might take more time, but I think ultimately you know, can be part of the solution for many people, is really reexamining your goals. Maybe you're, you're, you uh, are committed to goals that really aren't working for you. Some people you know, aren't able to do this all on their own, and that's okay. I mean, um, I would say if you have the ability to... Um, uh, to find a therapist to work with uh, uh, for any of these issues. I think that can be very helpful. Um, so I guess the mood approach is very eclectic in the sense that um, it sees that there are all these different tools available and that people should absolutely make use of them. Uh, here's so how, What do you tell the person who, because I've, I've known people who have been in such a depressive state that they just have no motivation. And the thought of even doing some of these things that you talked about is just uh, it just seems impossible. So, like, how do you bootstrap, right, to get to that point where you just you know you get out and you change your social situation, or you get out into the sun, or you know to do those things that can help your mood when you're just incapacitated? Yeah, that's a great point. And so, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think also it's very important to tell people who are struggling with depression that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with them; that they will they will eventually get better control over this mood state. But it may take some time. And, and, I, and, and I really think it is dangerous um, to overpromise. Uh, but, but telling people that you know from decades of epidemiology that even the worst depression eventually will lift, and the goal would be, what can we do to accelerate that lifting? What often happens, the, the folks that you're describing, and it's understandable when you feel so bad, uh, that they've kind, of, they've kind of lost morale. They've lost a belief that things can change. They've lost a belief in themselves. And so before people can really uh, take 
the kinds of some of the actions that I'm talking about, um, I think it's important to um, to check in with them about their morale and be understanding that uh, that it may take some time, but that they're going to prevail. I mean, there's no question that y- one way or the other, you will outlast this depression. Whether you can um, whether you can hasten uh, hasten its exit, whether you can learn from it, that's you know that's more up for grabs. Um, but you know, often people have been—I think—they've been kind of led down the garden path, maybe given false promises. If they do this treatment in six weeks, they—they'll have—you know—they'll be uh, totally better. And then they're very disappointed, and then they don't believe the next person um, who makes promises to them. So um, you know, I think it, I think uh, the the point about being very honest with people is important. So yeah, what does recovery look like? Um... Because I think some people have this idea that, okay, if I do these things, if I you know do cognitive behavioral therapy or I take this medication, then you know one day I'll just wake up and I'll just be happy. Um, yeah. Is it is it more gradual? Is it any? Is it you don't become happy? Is it just you're not depressed? I mean, what does that look like? Typically? Yeah, and I wish that there was more conversation about exactly this because I think this is really interesting and and under discussed. So even what is the goal of treatment? Um, you know, if you just talk to people in psychiatry, so, you know, in mainstream psychiatry, where they treat with medications, the goal of treatment, well, it's to reduce your symptoms. And that is great. Um, but people are often satisfied that they've reduced your symptoms to, to a degree. Um, I think that we need to set the bar, the bar a bit higher. Um, I think the goal ultimately has to be that the person is satisfied with their life, that they're no longer... Uh, they're no, no longer troubled by a depression that they can't manage. There may still be, you know, there may still be ups and downs. There may still be some symptoms, but I think it's really important to have an explicit conversation about what is what is the goal actually, because I, I don't think that, you know, by just saying, well, we'd like to reduce your symptoms. That's I think setting the bar kind of low. Just saying that you have low symptoms could mean that you're still having problems with your sleep, that you're still having uh, concentration difficulties, or, and that you're still having tr- trouble enjoying things. Um, I think it would be great to think more broadly about, again, um, this more purposeful life that as a, con- you know, as a consequence of that, that in a, as a consequence of figuring out some better strategies to, to manage your low mood, you're just not as dominated by it. I think that really is the goal, to not be dominated by your moods. It's They're going to be a part of your life. You may not always want the moods. You may not always like the moods that you're having, but moods are no longer your enemy. Uh, moods are, to a greater extent, your friend and something that you can use. Um, but you know, so often people might get better for a time, and then the depression comes back, and they feel powerless. I mean, that can be even the worst the worst thing about uh, about a depression is this uncertainty um, and this feeling that having no no power over your mood whatsoever. I, I should have asked this earlier, um, but I've read: Are there differences between the way men and women express depression or experience it, or is it pretty much the same? There are some differences. Um, depression is a, is a bit more common in women, and so in some ways. Um, uh, our kind of our template for depression is a female one. I think that's unfortunate. 
because even if, if even if depression is more common in women than it is in men, depression is so common in people that it's incredibly common in men. <laughs> and and men may feel less comfortable talking about their depression in that it society has identified this as a female problem. And again, it's connected to this notion of weakness. And men, of course, are not allowed. Uh, they're not allowed by the dominant culture to uh, to express vulnerability or weakness. So I think it is much as difficult as it is to be depressed for anyone. It's even more difficult for a man to struggle with depression uh, in that there there is some greater uh, barrier to letting other people know what's happening. It can be harder to get help. That certainly was true in my own case. Um, ideas about masculinity can be kind of a it can be an impediment to getting help and getting depression under control um, so you in the book and I thought it was really interesting uh, you talk about possibly reframing or you know looking at your depression in a positive light and that it could be instructive and helpful or even finding meaning in the depression how do you go about doing that and how does that help someone well, it, you know, whether or not your depression is helpful or, 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 or harmful really is something that you're only going to um, be able to determine years later. Uh, it, it's not, it's not so, I'm not suggesting that it's some eureka moment um, because their depression in mood generally is, it is connected to the, very often, to the overall trajectory of, of one's life. And, and whether or not you've learned all that you can learn from the situation that you're in um, takes a lot of time. So in my own case, um, I experienced this depression, which I, I believe was related to, uh, I mentioned, having all of my career aspirations and all my eggs in one basket. But it was also related to a certain idea of who I was uh, in I saw myself as a, as a kind of a creature of the mind, and, and when I started experiencing depression, my mental faculties really deteriorated, uh, and I was no, la no longer able to do that kind of work, and that was very threatening to me and made the depression that much worse. So I learned, you know, in my case, I learned uh, that many things, uh, many, of, many of the ideas that I had uh, were wrong, um, and I really learned uh, that I could do something different um, in going into a new field. Uh, I think for other people, the lessons are going to be very different. There's no one universal meaning of, of what depression is, in part because it can be provoked by so many different things. So, you know, it, depression can result from uh, from from very physical things. So, for example, if someone is uh, starving, and they 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 did research on this in the Second World War, people experience very low mood as a secondary, you know, as a secondary feature of not getting enough nutrition. So, it, it, there's not a, there's not always some grand psychological interpretation, but there often is, uh, it often does have meaning, but you don't know immediately what it is. Well, Jonathan, where can people find out more about your work? Well, in addition to reading, uh, reading my book, I regularly uh, blog on uh, Psychology Today, uh, and the blog is called Charting the Depths in the Huffington Post. 
And if they're interested in uh, any of the advocacy work that I'm doing, because I, you know, uh, talking with you is part of starting a broader conversation about depression, uh, and I'm very interested in doing that. Uh, so uh, I have a group called Come Out of the Dark. So if people, if you were even to Google the term Come Out of the Dark and Come Out of the Dark campaign, you'll see a number of links that come up that are describing that activity. We have, uh, we have an active Facebook presence. Uh, so the goal really is to expand our conversation about depression, to get people to, to uh, kind of challenge the dominant way of seeing depression as being about defects and to create a society where we uh, devote, um, we understand depression better and we're more tolerant of people who have struggled with the depression and we make use of the people who have struggled and have come out the other side. Fantastic. Well, Jonathan Rottenberg, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's a delight to talk to you. Thank you very much. Our guest today was Dr. Jonathan Rottenberg. He's the author of the book, The Depths, The Evolutionary Origins of the Depression Epidemic. You can find that on Amazon.com and other bookstores. Also, check out his Facebook page. Uh, just search for Jonathan Rottenberg. That's R-O-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G on Facebook. Or you can go to Facebook.com slash charting dot the dot depths. He posts a lot of interesting articles, uh, latest research about depression. I think you'll find a lot of useful information there. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, you've gotten something out of it, I'd really appreciate it if you would give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, whatever it is you use to listen to the podcast. That helps us get the word out about the podcast. So I'd really appreciate that. Also, if you can just recommend the podcast to a friend, uh, I'd appreciate that as well. Anyways, until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.